sermons entitled, What Does God Want Me to Do in My Life? And we're finding answers from the book of Nehemiah, two parts to the book of Nehemiah, two answers to this question. First half of Nehemiah, God has work for you to do. He has a purpose for you, a mission. And just as Nehemiah found his mission, his purpose, his work, you can too. God put it on Nehemiah's heart to build the wall around Jerusalem. That was his work, his purpose, his mission. And God has a work and a purpose and a mission for you. Well, now we are in the second half of the book of Nehemiah. And the key word here is assemble or gather. It's about worship. God wants you to connect with a group of people, a church, and to worship him. So the first part's about your work. Second part's about your worship. God has work for you to do, but even more important than your work is your relationship to him. So we're talking about our relationship to God, our worship of him. And we've look, we're looking in these uh, chapters at times when Nehemiah, after they'd built the wall, he gathered the people together. And uh, there are three assemblies that we're looking at. And here's three key things we want to build our church around. Another way of saying it is, these are three aspects of revival. You want revival in your life or renewed spiritual life? The first one last week we looked at was they gathered together and they read the Bible for half a day. They centered their community, their worship around the Word of God. What does God want you to do with your life? He wants you to be a part of a fellowship where you are centering your life around the Word of God, where you're reading it and receiving it with joy and and obeying it. Now today, Nehemiah 9, we come to a second time when Nehemiah gathered all the people together inside these new walls of Jerusalem. Here's a second element of revival, a second thing we want to build our lives around, and that's the confession of sin. Let's look together at Nehemiah chapter 9, beginning at verse 1, and it says, on the 24th day of the same month. So Last week we were in chapter 8, it was the first day. Now, the 24th day of the same month, this is October 30th, 444 B.C. The Israelites gathered together, there's the key word in this half of the book, uh, the building of the community, he's rebuilt the wall, now he's rebuilding the community. The Israelites gathered together, and listen to what they do this time. Before it was a time of joy, but now fasting and wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. And those three actions indicate humility and repentance. So they fasted. They didn't eat this day. The spiritual is more important than the physical. They're concentrating on the spiritual. They wore sackcloth. So that's just real plain kind of clothing, like mourning. So like we might wear black to a funeral rather than wearing bright colors. They're putting on sackcloth that shows mourning. We're not wearing our fancy clothes. We're not here to impress anybody today. We're just in sackcloth. And then they're putting dust on their head. Again, humility, humiliation before the Lord. So you get the tone of this meeting. And it says those of Israelite descent, verse 2, had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. So They've separated themselves from those outside the covenant community. This is not an act of superiority. This is, they're about to do something that only people in the covenant can do. Like next Sunday, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. 
Everyone's welcome to come, but we ask people to participate who are believers in Jesus Christ. It's just for those who've already made a commitment to Jesus. Well, the same kind of thing here. They're separating themselves and they're standing. If you were here last week, you realize, you remember that they had a plaza before the water gate. And there all of these people come and assemble. Nehemiah says 42,000 came back from the exile. That's been years ago. Probably the population's even bigger, so we don't know how many, but probably tens and tens of thousands of people. And they're standing in this plaza, and they're confessing their sins and the sins of their ancestors. Remember, they're just recovering from the exile. And they had, the nation had been sent into exile because of the sins of the nation. And they're recalling, we're just now recovering from the sins of our ancestors. And they're confessing their own sins. So it says in verse 3, They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. So just like the other one, it starts out the same as the other assembly last week. They read the book of the law, standing there listening to it for about three hours. Now, additional this time, and spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping the Lord their God. So this day is primarily, they, they read the word of God again, but this day is primarily about confessing their sins. They stand there for three hours and confess their sins. And almost all of the rest of chapter 9, verses 5 on down through the end of the chapter, verse 37, is one of the prayers that they prayed that's recorded here. And this prayer is a review of the Old Testament. It's sort of like the cliff notes of the Old Testament. You know what cliff notes are? They still make cliff notes. It's sort of a summary of the Old Testament. If you didn't know the Old Testament, this is a summary of it. It goes through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, uh, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, summarizes the others. So here's a survey of the Old Testament. Talks about God created, then God called Abraham, and then God sent them to Egypt and the Exodus and so forth. But the focus of this review of the Old Testament is to point out the faithfulness of God and compassion of God and their sinfulness. Let me just read a few verses of it to give you the, uh, a taste of it. I'll read uh, in uh, verse uh, Verse 15 through 17, this is picking up in the story about the, in Exodus. In their hunger, you gave them bread from heaven. In their thirst, you brought them water from the rock. You were so good to our ancestors. You told them to go in and take possession of the land. You had sworn with uplifted hand to give them. But they, our ancestors, became arrogant and stiff-necked, and they did not obey your commands. They refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. You hear them the, the faithfulness of God, the unfaithfulness of the people. They became uh, stiff-necked and in their rebellion appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert them. You get the flavor of this prayer of confession. God, you've been so good to us and we have failed you and we're confessing that. Read one more verse right at the conclusion of this prayer of confession, verse 33. In all that has happened to us, surveying all the history of Israel before them, in all that's happened to us, you have remained righteous, you've acted faithfully, while we acted wickedly. So they're reviewing their history and they're confessing their sins. And they did this for over three hours, standing there before the people. Today, I want us to spend some time 
confessing our sins. I want us to follow the model of what they've done. But before we do that, let's, let's make sure we understand what confession of sin is. What in the world were they doing for three hours? What is confession of sin? Let me share with you five elements, according to what we see in the Bible, of confession of sin. Uh, these, are, these are five things that, make, that I think they were doing that make up this process. And these are the five things I'm going to ask you to do this morning. First of all, confession of sin is evaluating your life. It's examining your life. Uh, there's a verse in the Bible that says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts, and see if there's any hurtful way in me. That's the first thing confession involves. It's introspection. It's looking at your life. In, in worship, as we're gathering together, we need from time to time to look at our lives. Introspection. Secondly, confession is acknowledging or admitting or agreeing that this is sin. We acknowledge God, this is in my life, and as you've revealed it to me, I admit that this is not right. The, the New Testament word for confess means to say the same. You're saying the same thing as God about your sin. God says this is sin, I say it's sin too. I admit it, I acknowledge it. And then the third aspect of confession is to grieve or to mourn. It's to be sorry for my sin. It's, oh God, I, uh, I, I grieve over this, I mourn this, I'm sorry for my sin, the fourth aspect of confession is to ask for forgiveness and cleansing. And then the fifth aspect of confession is to turn from sin, to abandon sin. God, I don't want to be like this anymore. I've, I've acknowledged it. I've been grieved by it. I've asked you to forgive me. And now I'm repenting or turning or abandoning that sin. I think that's what they were doing for three hours as they stood there. I think that's what confession is. Now, why do Christians need to confess their sin after we're saved? When we are saved, aren't we saved from all of our sins, past, present, and future? I think the answer to that question is yes. The Bible says that when you get saved, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The Bible says that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. So when you're saved, you're saved from all your sins. So why do you need to confess after you become a Christian? L let me show you a couple of places in the New Testament that have sort of helped me to understand that. And the first one is in John chapter 13, uh, where Jesus is washing his disciples' feet. This is the night before he dies, and he one last demonstration to them of humility and servant leadership and he's washing their feet you remember that story and so he gets to uh, Peter and Peter says no you shall never wash my feet Jesus answered unless I wash you you have no part in me and then Peter in typical fashion swings from no to wholehearted yes and he says well then Lord Verse 9, not just my feet and my hands, my head as well. Just, boy, if, then I'm all in. I want you to wash all of me. And then listen to what Jesus says. Here's the part that helps us about confession. Next verse. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. So Jesus there is teaching Peter about salvation and confession of sin. He says, Peter... You don't need me to wash your, your, your whole body. You've already had a bath, though, and, but not all of you have. So here's what Jesus is saying. Salvation is sort of like get, taking a bath. 
When you, t- when you when you're a, admit you're a sinner and you put your faith in Jesus Christ and repent of your sin, it, you're cleansed. You, it's like having a bath. And Jesus said, you've all, already had a bath except not one of you. So there was one among his disciples who was not saved, and that was Judas. And Jesus knew he was about to betray him. But if you've had a bath, you're clean. But then Jesus said, uh, but you still need to wash your feet. So in their culture, they wore sandals on dusty roads, and they'd just need to wash up. We would compare it to washing our hands. It would be a, a comparable thing. So you've had a bath. Most of us take a bath once a day or a shower. You may take more than that, but that's probably sort of standard. But you might wash your hands several times during the day. And that's when you get saved, you're clean. You're going to heaven. Your sins, past, present, and future are forgiven. Uh, that, that status does not change. But as you go through life, you still pick up some dirt, and there still needs to be that cleansing in your life. You're in a relationship to him, but there needs to be still that washing up. You see the comparison there? So, When we sin as believers, it doesn't break the relationship, but it does hurt our fellowship with God. Now, if you're a parent, you get that, right? Because if you're a parent, you know your kids are your kids, and you'd fight for them. But you're not always happy with them, are you? And sometimes, even though you love them, you're displeased with them or unhappy with them, right? That's the way it is with God. When you're, if you're saved, you belong to God. He loves you. He's going to fight for you. He's going to protect you. But when you sin, he's not happy with you. The relationship is not broken, but the, the fellowship is harmed. He's displeased. And so confession restores that fellowship. Let me show it to you in 1 John chapter 1, verse 6 and verse 9. 1 John 1, 6 says, If we claim to have fellowship, there's our word, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. Verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So, sin in a believer's life doesn't break the relationship, but it, it hurts the fellowship. And confession brings us back into right fellowship with God. This morning, I want us to do something a little different. I'm going to invite you to do these things of confession in your life. I'm not going to ask you to stand. Aren't you glad we're not going to exactly duplicate this? I'm going to let you remain seated. But I'm going to lead you through some examination according to the Scripture and I hope as we go through this, and you can either you can bow your head or you can keep your eyes open. There's not going to be anything on the screen. I'm just going to lead you through this. But I pray this will be a time for those of us who know the Lord to wash up, to examine our lives, to admit the things that God reveals to us that are wrong, to ask his forgiveness, grieve over them, and to turn from them. Let's, let me lead you in that time of confession. First of all, I'm going to go through the Ten Commandments. The first two commandments tell us that we should have no other God before him and make no idol. Has anything in your life become more important than God in his kingdom? Has your work become an idol? 
Is there any hobby or sport that has come before God? Second commandment says not to dishonor the name of God. Is there anything coming out of your mouth that dishonors the name of Christ? Is there any cursing coming from your mouth? The fourth commandment says to remember the Sabbath and to keep it holy. It has a little different application in the New Testament, the coming of Christ, but the principle is the same. Are you breaking the cycle of work to rest and to worship God? Is worship a weekly part of your rhythm of life? Fifth commandment says to honor your parents. Are you disrespectful to your parents in any way? The sixth commandment says, do not murder. Have you taken a life? Jesus expanded this command to include hate and anger and bitterness. Is there any hatred or anger or bitterness toward another person in your life? The sixth commandment says, do not commit adultery. If you're married, are you faithful to your marriage vows? If you're single, are you living a life of purity and celibacy? Is there any compromise, any inappropriate relationship, any flirting that compromises your marriage? Jesus said this command applies to lust as well as to the outward act. Is there any use of pornography in your life? Positively, husbands, are you loving your wife? Wife, do you respect your husband? The eighth commandment says do not steal. Have you taken anything that doesn't belong to you? Are you robbing your employer in any way? Are you robbing the government? Are you robbing God by not giving to him from what he's given to you? The ninth commandment says do not give false testimony. Are you lying to your parents? Are you deceiving your wife? Your boss? Any deception or lying in your life? And the tenth commandment says do not covet. Is there greed in your life? Is there envy? Or to turn it to a positive, is your life characterized by contentment and gratitude? So as we've gone through these ten commandments and you've examined yourself, has the Lord brought anything to your mind that you need to admit, acknowledge? Would you agree with God about it? Would you grieve it? Would you ask for cleansing? And would you commit to turn from it? Now in the New Testament, Jesus took us deeper than these outward acts. And Jesus said in Mark 7, 21, it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, folly. All these come from inside and defile a person. So let's go deeper into our lives. How's your thought life? What's your thought life like? Is your thought life pleasing to Jesus? 
What's your heart like? The attitudes of your heart. Is there greed, malice, deceit? Is there any lewdness in your thought life? Any slander? So he says the things in the heart come out through the mouth. What does your mouth reveal about your heart? Is there gossip or slander, arrogance or folly? Is there anything in your thought life? And then Jesus warned about the subtle sins of religious people like us. You're a religious person. You're here in church, and that's a good thing. But there's some unique temptations to people who are following a religious life. And Jesus said in Luke 18, 9, he spoke to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. And then he told a parable about a proud, self-righteous person who did a lot of religious things but was not right with God. So would you examine your life? Is there any pride or superiority or judgmentalism in your life? And one more, one more section. Finally, sin's not just a matter of not doing wrong, but it, it's a matter of doing right. So as we examine our lives, we look not only to what we're doing wrong, but what we're not doing right. And Colossians 3, 12 through 14 says, clothe yourselves, therefore. Here's the positive that ought to be in our lives. And if this positive is not there, then we're sinning. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Do I need to confess that I have not put on or clothed myself with compassion in any of my relationships, kindness toward my spouse, humility, gentleness, and patience? And it says to bear with each other and forgive one another as the Lord forgave you. Do I need to confess the sin of unforgiveness, of a grudge, of a failure to forgive, of bitterness? And finally it says, above all these virtues, put on love. Am I loving my family and my neighbor and even my enemies? Oh, Father in heaven, we have examined our lives. We have sought to do what the people of Nehemiah's day modeled for us. We have not done it as extensively, but in these moments, we have sought with the same seriousness as people with sackcloth and dust and fasting to confess our sins. We want to be in right fellowship with you. So, Whatever you have convicted us about, whatever you've brought to our mind in this time, we acknowledge our sin. We agree with you and we grieve because we know it grieves you, breaks your heart. And we ask for your forgiveness and cleansing and we, with your help, with your power, will turn from this sin. We will make a break today. We don't want to be like that anymore. And even if we've confessed it before, 
and have failed the righteous though they fall seven times get back up and so oh lord today we confess our sins and now we want to claim the promise of psalm 32 blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven whose sin are covered Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. Oh Lord, give us now this blessedness, this happiness, this joy of the Lord that it may be our strength and protect us from the evil one. Oh Lord, thank you for your forgiveness that comes finally only through the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you for sending your Son Thank you that it's possible for sinners like us to be justified with a holy God like you. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, in a minute I'm going to invite you to stand with me and we're going to sing a a song of invitation. So, most confession is between you and God. The Bible does say in James 5.16, confess your sins to one another. So a part of our invitation today is if there's sin in your life that you confess that would be an example and instruction to others, I'm going to invite you to come and, and give you a chance to share it. Now in confessing sin to others, you never confess anybody else's sin. So if your sin's involved anybody else, you don't need to come confess it. I don't want to hear about your affair with somebody else. You, you need to, that's between you and God. Don't confess anybody else's sin. But I, I want to give you that opportunity in this, this invitation. Many great revivals have come when God's people came clean about their sin. I want to encourage you today also to respond if you don't have a relationship with God. You see, what we tried to do is to wash up, but some of you would say, I, I never had a bath. I've never come to confess my sin for the first time to Jesus and claim Jesus as my Savior. And so today, you can start that journey of the joy and forgiveness that's possible in Jesus. So I'm going to invite you when we stand and sing to walk forward to say, I want to be a Christian. I come to confess my sin. I put my faith in Jesus. I'll be baptized to symbolize that cleansing and that new life. We'd invite you to come. And then maybe you need a church home. This whole part of Nehemiah is about we. We come in a community. He's rebuilt the wall, and now he's rebuilding the community of faith. We would call that a church. The key word's assemble. You need to be connected with some other people around the Word of God, confessing sin, living for Him. So if you're not a part of a church, we would welcome you into the family of First Baptist Church. Stand together with me. If God speaks to your heart, would you come?